oh my, I have worshiped, I can go home. Um, as I said in the early service, most of you don't know who I am, but for those of you who have heard broadcasts that I do, I'm so sorry. <laughs> God put this, and my voice is a lot better than yours. Uh, God put this voice in this body, and he thought it was funny, and I've never felt that it was funny. <laughs> I was in uh, St. Louis once, and a lady came up to one of my staff members and said, uh, I had to come tonight. And my staff member said, oh, really? And she said, yeah, I wanted to see what he looked like. And my staff member said, well, and she said, well, I was greatly disappointed. I was, I was uh, looking for the Marlboro man. <laughs> and I was in Los Angeles. This young man came up at the end of the conference where I was speaking and said, uh, Dr. Brown, you're old. And I thought he was going to say something else. He turned and walked off. And he, he got to the end of the platform and he turned around and he said, I mean, you're really old. <laughs> so, so I am sorry. I love your pastor, by the way, and the members that I've met on your staff. This has been a wonderful experience. I had lunch with Trent and he told me a little bit about what was going on here. And it's really amazing. And uh, he said, would you come in sometime and talk to us? And I said, oh, man, if you can get three together, I'll come. <laughs> and uh, so we set up this date, and I've been looking forward to it a lot. You guys smell like Jesus. I do need to talk to him about taking up an offering, though. I mean, if you're not going to take an offering, put the boxes in the aisles so people have to climb over them to get out. <laughs> but thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. Let's pray. Father, this is your book, and we're your people. Meet us in this place. Father, you know the secrets we can't share, the sin we can't shake the sleepless nights, the need, the loneliness, the fear. You heard what the doctor said. Father, you know we can't make the mortgage payment, but we're here. The source of all things, our Father. In this place, Father, may we hear the soft, sound of sandaled feet. Forgive the one who teaches his sins, because there are many. We would see Jesus and him only, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a pastor, and if you die when you're a pastor, you go right to heaven and the angels say, you poor dear. I wake up in the morning, if it's raining and I'm depressed, I think to myself, you know, this could be worse. I could still be a pastor. <laughs> I uh, used to say periodically to my congregation, there's nothing wrong with this congregation I couldn't fix with a few funerals. And they would laugh because they thought it was a joke. 
all my life, I've struggled with anger issues. It just bubbles up and I don't know where it comes from. If I were looking for an excuse, it might be the adult child of an alcoholic. It might be some demeaning in my, I don't know, but I've always struggled with it. When I was a young pastor, I grew a mustache and it looked awful. Looked like a kid trying to be old, it was terrible. And I had my razor in my hand. I was serving a church on Cape Cod and uh, it was a village and I'd been at the post office. And the phone rings and this woman in my congregation says, uh, I saw you at the post office this morning. I said, I saw you too. She said, what's that on your upper lip? And I said, that's a mustache. She said, shave it off, it looks horrible. And I said, I think you're too fat, but I don't tell you so. Well, they had committees trying to get me, and it was going to be cold and a hot place before I shaved that mustache. Uh, they were coming to my wife saying, can't you get him to do something about it? And Anna would say, if you don't leave him alone, he's going to have it till Jesus returns. And finally, I was going someplace and speaking, and I said, I'm going to, this afternoon, I'm shaving this mustache off. And they broke out in applause, those turkeys. And I said, but wait, I'm not doing it because you don't like it. I'm doing it because I don't like it. I've been in trouble most of my ministry because of the anger, and I'm better. I really am. Some of it has to do with getting old. But some of it has to do with Jesus. If you hang out with him a lot, he gentles you down. He loves you. You can't love until you've been loved. And then you can only love to the degree to which you have been loved. And I've been walking with him a very, very long time. And I'm not so angry anymore. But you know, sometimes anger is appropriate. I wish you could meet my father. He's in heaven now. Uh, he was a drunk and uh, a skirt chaser and um, a pool shark. And he loved me totally. When I read that Jesus said, if you've been being evil, know how to give good things to your kids, how much more your father in heaven, I thought, oh, that is so cool. I've got it made. If God loves me one-fifth as much as my father does, and he loved my brother. My brother was the district attorney, a lawyer, and I was a preacher. Our daddy used to show our picture to everybody, and he would say, I got one son that's a lawyer and one that's a preacher, and there's no problem I get into that one of them can't get me out of it. <laughs> Whenever we sang at children's choir at a church, he'd go and sit in the back row, and he'd leave when we finished. And the reason he didn't come, and he never said bad things about us, never called us hypocrites. He was very quiet. Uh, 
The reason he didn't come to church was because he honestly didn't think he was good enough. That makes me angry. When people take the gospel and make it into a good fellows club where we're good and you're bad, and if you join with us, you'll be good like us, it is blasphemous. It misses what the whole Christian faith is about. I have a friend who says the whole Bible can be summarized in two sentences. One, cheer up. You're a lot worse than you think you are. And two, cheer up. God's grace is a lot bigger than you think it is. Three months before my father died, a Christian physician told him the truth. He said, Mr. Brown, you have three months to live and we're going to pray. And then I'm going to tell you something more important than what I just told you. And she, and he told my father about Jesus. And for the first time he got it and he came running. But to this day, I get thousands of letters uh, every month. Emails and phone calls. The receptionist said, Steve, Kathy's on another line. She's my associate. She's mean. And uh, you're going to have to talk to this man. I can't talk to him. And she was crying. I pick up the phone. This guy says, Dr. Brown, there are millions of people in hell because of you. And just the anger. And I, I said, way cool. I didn't know I had that kind of power. He said, it's not funny. And he hung up. And I didn't want him to hang up because I, I got this anger problem. But maybe the anger reflected there is biblical anger. If you look in the book of Galatians, the first chapter, the apostle Paul says if anybody preaches a gospel, that's the grace he's going to talk about throughout Galatians. If anybody tells you anything that I'm not telling you, may he be accursed. And then he repeats it. And then in the fifth chapter, Paul says, I wish those who trouble you would emasculate themselves. Hmm. Wonder where he got that. He got it from Jesus. Don't read it before you go to bed because it's not good evening devotional material. But Read the 23rd chapter of Matthew. Jesus is talking about religious folks and he's talking about people like us. And it's, and it's pretty scary stuff. And at the very center of that, it's to the Pharisees, scribes and Pharisees, whitewashed tombs. He says, you guys will go all over the world to get one convert. And once you get that sucker, you make him twice the child of hell that he was before. And then Jesus goes into the temple in the 24th chapter and talk about anger. This is a house of prayer. For all nations, the whores, the greedy, 
the people who have failed, the needy, the lonely, the broken, and you've made it a den of thieves. So anger may not always be bad. I'm better even there. But mostly when I get angry, it's when people take the gospel and they make something that it isn't. They lie about God. You don't just get saved with the gospel. You live the gospel. Martin Luther said this, sanctification, and that's a theological word that means getting better. Sanctification is nothing more or less than justification. It's coming over and over and over again to him to be loved. I got a letter from a guy that was gay. I'd said something on a broadcast. I'm not generally, you know, fat preachers yell at gay guys, but very few gay guys yell at fat preachers. <laughs> and I don't usually say, I'm not very, you know, I know what the Bible says and I'm clear about it. But, but I said, you know, I wish I could erase it, but I can't. And man, he was angry when he wrote the letter. Now, generally, I write back, you may be wrong, but you're probably right, sincerely, Steve. But this time I decided to take him seriously. And so I wrote him back and said, look, I'm not throwing rocks at you. When you're as bad as I am, you don't throw rocks at anybody. But there's a difference between you and me. You don't think you've done anything wrong, and I know I have. And so I get to run to Jesus, and I get hugged regularly, and you don't. And, and the le next letter I got back, and we ended up writing for two years. He became a Christian, wrote a book. He's still gay. He's just celibate. And he's wonderful, and I love him, and I'm straight. But, but he wrote back, and he said, Steve, thank you for your kind letter. Um, and, and by the way, he was a columnist for the National Gay and Lesbian uh, Newsletter. Uh, the column was Eutychus. And uh, he wrote the, he left. And he's walking with Jesus today in a wonderful way because he got the gospel, not the religious nonsense. I'm going to read you a text. And we're going to look at it for a few minutes, not a long time. The good thing about this service is that you beat everybody else Every Christian in Palm Bay to the restaurant. <laughs> so uh, I'm not going to take forever. But it's from the seventh chapter of Luke. And it's one of the most radical texts in the entire Bible. Preachers don't preach on it very often. And when they do, they sand it down. They make it say something different than what it says. They make it less radical than it is. So listen up. This is what Luke writes. Then one of the Pharisees, and I'm starting at the 36th verse of the 7th chapter. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went 
to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, read whore, who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster task of fragrant oil and uh, stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answered him and said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed him a hundred denarii and the other fifty. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. (coughs) You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, the same loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Oh, that blows me away. I want to show you two, three things about those words that I just read to you that are really important. The first thing you ought to notice is that Jesus refused to sand down his love to make it palatable to religious people. I mean, the Pharisees are looking down their nose, and Jesus saw it. They're thinking, how did she get in here? And actually, this is a dumb prostitute. Any prostitute that crashes the dinner party of a Pharisee needs to get therapy. That's not a good thing to do. But she busts in here. And these religious people are looking down their nose at her. And Jesus doesn't back off one bit. Yay, Jesus. He doesn't sand it down. He doesn't make it soft. This stuff, listen to me, is astonishing. 
It is so radical. You, you have to stop sometimes and say, this can't be true. It is such good news. And I'm not charismatic. I'm Presbyterian. We don't dance or speak in tongues. But man, it makes me want to do both when I think. Jesus should cause his people to go, I can't believe it. I've been telling people places where I speak. I'm going to tell you this too. If you knew Jesus was going to come back on Thursday, I know you guys. I know what you do. You fast and pray and repent. I know what you do. You get on your knees and confess all your sins and be really, really religious till he got here. Do you know what I would do if I knew Jesus was coming back on Thursday? I'd get drunk. I'm a teetotaler. You ought to be drunk once before you die. And you know what else I'd do? I'd get a Mercedes. I'm tired of that Honda. It's got 135,000 miles on it and just barely made it here this morning. I'd like to have a Mercedes. And if I didn't have to pay it back, I'd drive it around the last few days. And I would run all of my credit cards up. There's a lot of neat stuff that I want to get that if I didn't have to pay off the cards, man, I'd go out and just have a field day at the shopping malls. And you're saying, I don't believe you said that. The reason you're so shocked and I'm so pleased is that Jesus likes me better than he likes you. <laughs> and you should be able to say exactly the same thing to me. Is that radical? You say, by the way, everybody in this room has a secret. I've been doing this longer than most of you have been alive. And you don't fool me. I know you're in church. But everybody in this room, and there's not a single exception, in this room has a secret that if you were forced to reveal it to everybody else, you wouldn't stay here. You'd be so embarrassed you'd have to leave. So you, you don't fool me. And his grace covers it with joy. Welcome, child. Welcome. And I'm so glad Jesus didn't make it religious for the religious folks. If he had done that, I'd have been angry at him. And I am sometimes, by the way. <laughs> but there's another thing in this text. Please note as you read through those verses that Jesus doesn't add one single kicker. We're always adding kicker. Yeah, Jesus loves you, but don't let it go to your head. Or Jesus loves you, but you gotta love him back. Don't be careful about this grace thing and don't take advantage of it, okay? There's always kickers. And Jesus didn't give a single kicker in this text. He said, you're forgiven. He even sounded a little bit like he was encouraging sin. If, you've, if you're forgiven big stuff, you love big. And if you're forgiven little stuff, you love just a little. So if you've taken logic 101 and make a syllogism out of it, so therefore go out and sin big. 
Now, that's not what Jesus was saying, but it could have been taken that way. He, you know, I want to say, Jesus, you could have found, told her to find a solid synagogue and go to a small group Torah study by thing, or you should have gotten in a discipleship group, or you ought to memorize some things, or you ought to know what the law is. This is how a real Jewish believer lives. Not a bit of that. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. And uh, I'm so glad he didn't add kickers. I don't know why, I don't know if I would have come. I mean, I'm, I'm not a really good person. I, I don't know if I would have come if there had been some kickers. Because I've tried. I thought by now I'd be better than I am. I really did. When I was young, I knew I had some problems. But, you know, I was a young pastor, and I had heroes. And if I just work at it and be obedient and... And here I am, cramming for finals. And I am some better. I mean, Jesus didn't waste it all, but I'm still struggling with so much stuff. And if somebody had given me kickers, I'd be a Buddhist. They don't have diets, and Buddha's always grinning. Sounds like a pretty good religion to me. But Jesus, thank God, didn't have a kid. I have a friend, Rusty Anderson, who was killed in an automobile, my best friend, eight years ago. And I still miss him. He was um, playing with his granddaughter, and she did something bad. And he said, honey, don't do that. And she said, I'm sorry, granddaddy. And he went back to reading his paper, and she did it again. He said, honey, I told you not to do that. And she said, I'm sorry, granddaddy. And he went back to his paper. And then five minutes later, she did it the third time. And he said, I told you not to do that. And she said, I'm so sorry, granddaddy. And he said, sorry isn't enough. And then Rusty laughed and I heard God say, he said, funny, it was enough for me. It is enough. No kickers. There isn't a list of things. Uh, and if Jesus had added kickers, I wouldn't have come. And it's not in the text, but you got to say it. Jesus didn't damp down the joy and the laughter. I, I, I'm the only Bible teacher that's going to say this to you. So you're going to learn something this morning you never heard before. Simon, the Pharisee, who invited Jesus to dinner, became a Christian. You say, how do you know that? Listen to me, I'm going to tell you. It says in the text that when Simon looked at the woman, he said to himself, he didn't say it out loud, it was in his mind. If he knew what kind of woman this is, he wouldn't, he never mentioned that. And Jesus answered, the text says, Simon. What do you mean you answered Simon? He said nothing. He answered Simon with the thoughts he had in his mind. Jesus is a friend of mine, and he doesn't talk about what we think to other people. So it didn't come from him. 
Where do you think it came from? Came from Simon, dummy. And why did he tell people about it? It was a part of his testimony. He would say and laugh. You should have been in my house when Jesus was there. Oh man, he was fun to be around. And he read my mind. He honestly did. And then he would tell them this story and it got passed around and eventually got put in scripture. So Simon became a Christian and laughed a lot. You remember when Jesus, and it's shortly after this, is coming into Jerusalem and his disciples are yelling Hosanna and people are trying to sleep and watch television and stuff. And the religious people go to Jesus and said, oh, can't you do something about them? And Jesus said, are you crazy? If they were quiet, the rocks would cry out. And so he said to this lady, you're forgiven. Go in peace. Go in shalom. That's the copacetic close uh, reality that believers experience and that causes them to laugh. There's something about this thing that's not only astonishing, it's also freeing. And you don't give a rip what people think. You dance, you don't look at your feet. You know how you can tell if Jesus is still in the building by listening to see if his people laugh. And if they do, he's still there. And when they stop and they get serious and start talking about God, Jesus leaves the building. I met a, I met a guy that I love just three or four weeks ago. Uh, his name is Matt Powell, and he's the pastor at First Baptist Church in Tupelo, Mississippi. And a friend, he's a friend of a friend of mine. And my friend said, Steve, I want you to miss him. I want you to meet him. Um, he's read your books and, and, it'll, and you'll like him a lot. So he came to Orlando and I had lunch with the two of them. And Matt told me, have you ever heard of the Blackberry Farm, farm up uh, near Memphis? It's a very famous resort area. It's a working farm. Uh, and a magnificent resort, and it's known all over the world. Matt had, um, he had bought a new gun, and they didn't allow guns at the Blackberry Farm, but he brought his one time. He said, if you were within 100 miles, and you were in the family of the Blackberry Farm, you were expected to be at the dinner table. So he came over, he got this gun, he was showing it, I think, to his cousin, and there was a bullet in the chamber and he accidentally pulled the trigger and shot a hole in the television. <laughs> and when his grandfather came, he heard the noise and when his grandfather came into the living room, looked at the television and then looked over at Matt and said, man, whatever was on television must have been really bad. <laughs> and then Matt got to thinking that he could have killed some of the people he loved. And and he got so emotional he had to leave. He just left the house and went to his house. And his grandfather called him, said, son, why did you leave? And he said, oh, pops, I, it could have been so bad. I can't believe 
that I did what I did. And he said, you come back over here and do it now. And then the grandfather called everybody in this big family to come into the living room. And he said, listen to me. And they listened because he was the godfather. Listen to me and read my lips. This incident will never be spoken of again. Is that understood? And it was. And it wasn't. I don't know you because I live somewhere else, but I know, I know what you're like. And I know what's going on. You're thinking, not for me. Yeah, for you. Never spoken of again, ever. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, no matter who you hurt, no matter what you smoke or drink or who you sleep with, you run to him. And he'll say, forgiven. That will make a Presbyterian dance. You think about that. Amen.